Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But in the, you know, the wonderful world of the media and... Um, of the internet and of online and of those social media sharing platforms. This has now been shared so many times. It is impossible that they could ever get that information back. The genie is well and truly out of the bottle. There's no way of putting it back in again. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A data breach of epic proportions. A police force scrambling for calm amidst fears of intimidation. And an eye-watering bill to fix a home goal mistake which is unequalled. Today, I'm talking with Belfast Telegraph crime correspondent Alison Morris about the PSNI publication of a document detailing rank, grades and pay of their own staff. She tells me of fears of Catholic officers working within the force of the level of threat to MI5 officers named in the breach, and of a mishap on industrial scale which threatens the very makeup of Northern Ireland's law enforcement. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Tell me about this crazy story and uh, the na- the data breach. And it's something I was I was actually kind of reading it, kind of watching it. And then I thought, no, it can't be what I think it is. They've actually published the names and details of pretty much everyone in the PSNI. Yeah, well, I mean, this started as something which is was a simple freedom of information request. So we believe at this stage that may have actually been someone connected to the police who put in the freedom of information request because it was for something quite specific, which wouldn't be of much use to a member of the public. It was basically asking for a list of how many employees work for the PSNI and their rank, which is something that you would use to work out in terms of like civil service pay bands, how much people are paid. So as simple as that. So basically it should have said, here's how many thousand employees we have. We have so many thousand constables we have so many thousand you know hundreds sergeants inspectors whatever that's all it should have said instead that data was posted was sent to the person who requested and also posted online as all freedom of information requests are on the PSNI's website 
But when you clicked on the document, there was another attachment to it, and it was an Excel spreadsheet which contained 10,000 names of every man and woman who works for the PSNI, either in a, a, a uniform sense as, a, as a, a member of the PSNI or as a civilian staff member. It included their names, their initials, the police station that they work for. Um, it included their badge number. It also included their duties, so what it is they're working on, whether that be forensics or internal security, or in some cases, intelligence. And bizarrely, when I started going through it then to look at, at further details, it actually gives the, the funding pot for which those officers are paid. That might sound quite boring, but really that's actually a massive detail because it'll say, you know, from the main grant, so just the, the main policing budget, you know, from its additional funds, which might be maybe like a, a specialist pilot project or something that the PSNI are working on, that they received extra money. And then the bit that interested me as a security journalist was security funds, and that means MI5. Oh so this is officers who work for MI5 or seconded on the MI5. Not even other police officers would know that. Only the people with the highest security clearance in the PSNI would be permitted to know which officers are being seconded with MI5. And yet, by the method of which this Excel sheet has been sent out, it's fairly easy to work that out. So, right, you are able to or have been able to have a look through it. Obviously, as a as a crime journalist, you're going to do that. But I did hear the police officer, a retired police officer on the radio saying, well, no journalist can be arrested for being in possession of this. And I thought, well, that's good because I am. But also, um, I would wonder, could anyone be charged with being in possession of this? They're saying if you're caught with this, it's information likely to be of use to terrorists. But terrorists gather information on people. They don't get them off the PSNI website, you know, so. Exactly. And they've published it, surely, that there's if there's any wrongdoing. But what I was going to say to you was like, so this document obviously wrongly went up and it sounds like something I would be very capable of doing if I, you know what I mean? I really would be well, I'd be terrified if I was in charge of publishing anything because uh like I just literally wouldn't have the skill set as regards that. But somebody's made a mistake somewhere and this document has gone up on the PSNI website. Presumably the minute they realise that shouldn't be there, it's removed and taken down. So how do you have it and how are you? Did you see it when it was still up or before the alert was sounded? It was only up for a couple of hours and it was there and my colleague Sam McBride got a tip off from someone who was connected to the PSNI um, who said, look, this is on this PSNI website. Um, he was able to look at it from there. But in the meantime, this was taken down. It was downloaded and it was then being distributed at the beginning in group chats and WhatsApp groups among serving police officers, their families and support. But within within four or five days, it was in the hands of people who I would know through my context to be fairly senior dissident Republicans. And so by the time there was a press conference, um, an updated press conference on Monday with the chief constable, and he said, we now believe this has fallen into the wrong hands, but it is now widespread. And I did say that to the chief constable, Simon Byrne, when I was speaking to him on Monday, says, is it now not the case that this is now so widely spread on social media? There's no way of retaining it back again. I mean, at the start, they were saying that hired in specialist cybersecurity units who could see how many times it had been removed from the website and then try and trace it to all those people. They sent an email out to certain police officers saying, look, if you're one of the people who accessed this data, could you let us know so we can exclude you from the investigation as to who may or may not have it? But in the, the you know the wonderful world of the media and um, of the internet and of online and of those social media sharing platforms, 
This has now been shared so many times. It is impossible that they could ever get that information back. The genie is well and truly out of the bottle. There's no way of putting it back in again. It always seems a little bit like when stuff goes out and the internet gets copied and shared and all the rest of it. It's like sort of trying to put your finger in the dike. There's just, it literally, it's, it, the, the horse is bolted really when it comes to that. So let's take it that the horse has bolted. So, I mean, where are they at and what sort of dangers are, obviously you've, you've pointed out that you can clearly see who's maybe MI5. I mean, that is a massive problem. What sort of dangers are the people whose names are on this list facing? So not every person who's on that list has all of a sudden woke up the next day and been under further further risk because they're not. Because there's also at the very the first names on this list are the chief constables and the deputy chief constables, assistant chief constables. Now I know who they are. Everyone knows who they are. They appear in front of the police and board. They give res- regular press conferences. And then we'll look at like senior detectives. They're also quite quite almost household names if you if you're in my line of work anyway where we would speak to them at press conferences if there's been a murder, any kind of fatality, any kind of major incident. So they have a public profile. Everyone knows they're a police officer. They're not hiding the fact that they're a police officer. So are they under more danger? No, I don't particularly think that they are as a result of this. But then you have to sort of drill down and you drill down to the fact that when I went through that list, I was able to see people who use a very distinctive, maybe Irish spelling of their name, which makes them clearly someone who comes from, you know, a nationalist Republican background, they're using the Irish spelling of their name. Their name's quite distinctive. And so think of it in terms of jigsaw identification. So if you see someone with that name and a certain initial, say if that person had another role prior to their policing role before they come into the community, say in sport, in football, in GAA, you know, in rugby, in any type of sport, well, then their name would have appeared regular in match reports and updates about that and maybe in media um, reports about that. So their name would very easily be associated with that particular sport, which means they're easily jigsaw identified as a police officer. And many people do not even tell their closest family they're police officers. There's people who are police officers who claim to their own children that their teachers are personal trainers or civil servants. You know, they don't even tell their closest family members because of the risk and the perception. And they don't want to put their family members at risk either. There are also people, and remember, you know, we remain a mainly white divided society, mm. but there are people from minority minority groups who are members of the PSNI. And you're able to spot them immediately because, you know, you see those very Eastern European sounding names, some names that you can tell um, come from elsewhere. And those people, they're not the, if someone takes their name and Googles it, looks on social media, they'll be able to find maybe their wife, their children, people with the same name. And there's not going to be an awful lot of people with that name in Northern Ireland. So they are clearly under further risk and then as you said there's the people who work for MI5 who even Mm. cops other cops don't even know that they do that and when it came to the dissidents and when I spoke to senior dissidents about this what they said was well we know who the police officers are who stop and search us we know their names I have to write them at the bottom you know when the when the stop and search or these are the people who do searches on their homes they're people who do bail checks on them if they're facing charges they're people who they would know um, because it's the same unit of PSNI would deal with that kind of dissident Republican activity day and daily. So that is maybe not of great use to them. But civilian staff who maybe haven't moved home and who still live in communities that would be considered to be risky, well, they are now identifiable as well. Just think of that. They could be coerced. They could be threatened. You know, their families could be threatened and they could be made to provide information which is much more sensitive and much more use. And also then you have PSNI off people who 
they're saying look when we're being stopped and searched or when we're being you know our houses raided, people are showing up posing as PSNI officers and we know they're not we know they're spooks we know they're MI5 and this is just confirmed that we were right because there's their names on the list mm-hmm. all along um, and then that has an impact on court cases that are going to happen as well because MI5 don't have the same obligations as disclosure as the PSNI do and the MI5 are not an investigative body they're, they're an intelligence body that gathers intelligence the PSNI are the investigators um, so they don't have to disclose to the courts to the same way that the PSNI would be forced to disclose to defence teams. But now that it's now saying, well, there's 40 of you that working for MI5, you can imagine if you were a defence solicitor who's earning his keep, you would be going back and saying, hold on a wee second, that boy, that boy and that boy are all named in these court papers and according to this list that worked for MI5, so I want the disclosure on that. I want to know what they were doing and what their role in this case against my client is. And so that's going to cause a knock-on effect as well. It's untenable, that, isn't it? I mean, like, I mean, that that element of it on its own uh, for the safety of the individuals concerned for the court cases and for everything else they're involved in, they are simply going to have to have a career change. Yeah, they're going to have to be moved. Definitely, they'll have to be moved their place of work because the place of work's listed on this. You can see what PlayStation they're working out of. It's listed on the data breach. Um, well, that's easy then to start forming patterns of work and to watch them what time people arrive and leave from work if you wanted to target them. So that puts them at heightened risk. Um, and then, you know, there's the cost of this financially because we already know that there are numerous um, solicitors who I know who have been contacted already by certain police officers to say, I want you to issue a writ against the chief constable. My dad has been breached. And look, you know, I'm not a cop, but I don't understand the, the complexities of this. But there's people saying, Look, I have missed family funerals because mm-hmm. of my own safety. I knew that I was taking a risk joining the police. I was aware that there was a risk associated with it. But to mitigate that, I have missed weddings, christenings, children's communions, not even attended family funerals because maybe they would be in somewhere where they'd be considered to be a high risk against that police officer. You know, I've sacrificed relations with my elderly parents. You know, um, there's officers who only see would only see their family members at work, where they'd call in for a cup of tea to see them during the day. They can't attend Christmas or any of that sort of thing. So if I've give up all that to keep my family safe and keep my family secure, and then the PSNI, the people who are meant to be my employers and meant to be protecting me fiercely, just hand over all my information and data and throw it out into the public, well, then what faith do you have in them? And so there's the knock-on effect in terms of police confidence, in terms of confidence in the leadership, in terms of the morale of police staff. And remember, not all of these people on this list are police officers. Some of them are just civilian staff. They wouldn't have the security outside their house that a police officer would have. They wouldn't have the personal protection weapon that a police officer would have. You know, they're really exposed, possibly more even in some ways. They're at risk as well. And then how do you pay for all this? Because the police service a couple of weeks before that, I was sitting at a police and board meeting where they were, you know, millions in deficit and saying they wouldn't be able, if a major event happened tomorrow, they don't know if they'd have the resources to be able to police it. And now someone is going to have to find deep pockets somewhere to pay to clean up this mess. And given the timing of it, you know, in the aftermath of the shooting of Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell, there's a, a threat that isn't just a perceived threat to police officers there. It's it's a real threat. He was at a football at the side of a football uh, pitch when he was shot in front of like, I mean, a miracle that man survived the amount of times he was shot and he's returned to some health and is out and about and has been honoured for his bravery, etc. But I mean, 
that incident is still so real in everybody's mind, let alone if you're a police officer yourself. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was you talk about PSNI officers basically pretending they do another job. Are you largely talking about the Republican uh, people that are involved in it? Because you've spoken to us before about how they have been targeted literally by uh, some of the, the paramilitary groups to stop a kind of a, 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 a you know, an, an integration of Republicans and of Catholics, I suppose, into the into the police force. Yeah, specifically them, because Catholic officers like that, say if they come from somewhere from West Belfast, from North Belfast, you know, from from Derry, from from somewhere that is seen as, you know, particularly Republican or nationalist, where it maybe it would just wouldn't be safe for a police officer to live. Well, they've moved and they move out and they move and they move to a different place. And in some cases, they have to give up their entire, you know, social life and everything goes along with that, that they socialize in different places. But their families don't move and they've left them behind and they share the same name as them. You know, and they've left behind sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and mothers and fathers. And in the past, we've actually seen the family members of Catholic police officers be targeted with like pipe bombs left outside their house and, uh, and other incidents like that. They are under particular increased threat for a number of reasons. They're easy to target, usually because you should gather information on them, but also targeting them then deters other Catholics from joining the PSNI. So it has sort of double value to it. So we've seen that with... Father Heffron was a police officer who in 2010 was very badly injured in a bomb attack, an undercar bomb attack in his car. He lost a leg as a result of that. He's confined to a wheelchair now. And prior to that, he was literally the poster boy for the new PSNI. Um, he was wheeled out of police and board meetings. He was one of the founding members of the PSNI's GAA team. He'd been a, a GAA player before that. He was a footballer. Um, I think he played a bit of hurdle as well. He was an Irish speaker. He would he was the first person to ever speak Irish at a police and board meeting. And so this was this new face and that put a target in his back. And I think it's been well established that that put a target in his back. And therefore, most officers after that changed the way they behaved and, and became much more secretive and much more low profile in terms of what they do. And we still have an issue, you know, press officers. Up until quite recently, the press office would have just put a police spokesperson, even on press releases. It's only quite recently even where they'll put the name of an investigating officer on it. And even then, they jump through hoops because some people just don't want to be named on those mm. those press releases because it draws attention to them. Ronan Kerr, again, a very young Catholic police officer in Oma, um, he died in an undercar bomb as well as he was getting into his car. It exploded. His mother was from Oma. His father was from West Belfast. In fact, he was from like three streets away from where my mother lives. Um, and, you know, it's as simple as something as someone maybe saying in a shop or in a bar, did you hear our such and such as kid joined the cops? And someone's sitting in earshot of that, and then they hear that, and they pass it on, they pass it on, and then that becomes targeting information, which makes it way back to distant Republicans. So it, you can see the level of care that some of them take to conceal what it is they work as and to conceal the identity of what they do. And after um, the DC Caldwell shooting, there was officers saying, well, I haven't carried my personal protection weapon with me in years. I mean, I don't take it to the shop. I don't take it when I'm going to watch the kids play football or whatever. But I started taking it with me again, you know, started carrying it again because they did feel under that increased threat. Um, and now this comes on top of it. So it's hard to even fathom how you change. First of all, the, the data is out there. It, it can't be it can't be brought back in again, no matter what. doesn't matter how many cyber experts the PSNI are. It's gone. And in a way, it's devalued it because, you know, in the criminal underworld and the paramilitary underworld, 
that information would have been very, very valuable, those names and all the rest of it. I mean, we only heard recently in an Encro chat case in Antwerp how a criminal grouping had actually formed and their only one piece of, uh, you know, only thing they traded was information. So they collected files on people and journalists and police and everything, and then they sold that into the criminal world. So that, in a way, has devalued it. In another way, all the names are out there, which is kind of, there's surely at least if you were one of them, you know, you'd feel there's a little bit of strength in numbers. Uh, Not everyone can be targeted. And I suppose thirdly, there has to be some way of risk assessing people and putting them into different categories of risk from what's happened. The PSNED said that. So they've set up like an online helpline for people to contact, for police officers and staff, and they're being what they call triage in terms of risk. So therefore, if you are a Catholic officer who's from a very Republican area and you're concerned about your family, well, then you'll be triaged as more at risk. If you are, say, a Polish police officer who came here and joined the PSNI and you have a very distinctive sound name, well, clearly that'll push you up. If you work for MI5 or the intelligence service, and it's clearly listed intelligence the whole way down that, that file. So we know he works for intelligence now. Clearly, they're going to be at greater risk and therefore they'll be triaged higher up the list. And then same will help more civilian staff. So some civilian staff will be, you know, look, everyone knows what I do. I'm quite happy with that. I don't really care. And others will be, I haven't even told, you know, my own family what I do. They just assume I work mm-hmm. in civil service. Um, and so they might be triaged as being at more risk. So that that's taking place at the minute. But one of the things that one of the officers said said was in terms of the support that they were getting, they received an email telling them to contact the GP if they were feeling mentally under stress. Again, depending on where your GP is, that's just spreading information around that you probably don't want to spread around. And also to contact peer support, which is peer support group set up in the PSNI to give support to the other officers. But as he said, the peer support officers' names are all on the data breach list as well. So you're going to say to them, I'm feeling really stressed. My name's on the list. And that guy's going, well, fuck, so am I. My name's so on the well. So the peer support yeah. people are also yeah. on the list of, of uh, on the data breach. So in a way, like, has this forced some change? Like, I mean, did everybody who was secretive about working for the police, did everybody, did everybody have to be? Or was it a culture that sort of existed within the PSNI? They're, they're advised and they're also given places where they're told not to go. There's, there's certain bars and pubs and shops that they're said, just don't go in there. Um, and, you know, you can see when there's officers on duty. I mean, there's shops and, and garages that they use to go and buy stuff for their lunch or whatever. And then there's ones that you just clearly never see a, a PSNI officer in. And it'd be the same with bars. You know, there's there's places that I'm sure I frequent that a cop wouldn't want to be seen in. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there's people, places that cops frequent where they wouldn't want to see me in it either. Um, but, you know, there's there's um, there, there's simple and I suppose basic what you'd probably think are quite common sense steps that people take to look after the security, the whole checking under their cars in the morning, all of that sort of thing. I suppose this just puts another edge on it, especially for those who have been very secretive about what they do for a living. And they woke up, you know, one day last week thinking, well, now the whole world is going to know what I do for a living. And then we had the additional, which is if the, this bit story didn't have enough layers to it, that pages from the data were printed out and stuck on a wall facing a Sinn Féin yes. centre in West mm. Belfast, along with a picture of Sinn Féin MLA Jerry Kelly and a poster that said, we know who your mates are. The poster gave me anxiety because it's a very weird mixture of, of capital letters and small small case letters in a, in a pattern that makes no sense to me. So that alone just bothered me looking at it. 
But that was a very, you know, if this information is no use in terms of targeting the dissident Republicans, it is most certainly of use from a propaganda value, and they're going to get the maximum propaganda they can get out of that. Um, you know, there was like distant Republicans I was talking to last week who were saying, yeah, I got stopped and searched by the PSNI. They asked me name and address, and so I told them where they lived. Did you know what I mean? It was like this joke that they're going to actually be putting people's names back to them when they're stopped. Jerry Kelly is an interesting character. Clearly, he comes from the old IRA, sort of more militant branch of Sinn Féin. He was a former IRA prisoner. He was a skippy from the maze um, in 1983. He um, went on then to be one of the first members of Sinn Féin to go onto the policing board. It was very deliberate because Republicans and that sort of hardcore Republican at the time were still incredibly nervous about signing up to the policing structures because the RUC had been such a controversial force that had been involved in collusion against the murder of Catholics. And this has been upheld by the Ombudsman. That's not just me saying that. And it was a 93% Protestant force. So the PSNI was to be a new dawn. People were understandably skeptical. Is this going to work? And so to put someone like Jerry Kelly on was very deliberate, under the policing board was very deliberate. But that is also the fact that a few years ago, Michelle O'Neill um, attended a, a policing board a, a police recruitment drive. So there was a recruitment drive to recruit new officers into the force. The Sinn Féin have never attended either the recruitment drives or the sort of passing out ceremonies, you know, that happen whenever people graduate and from the, the academy. They attended the recruitment drive, but who did Michelle O'Neill bring with her for backup for that? Because the optics of that, just in case, she brings Jerry Kelly. Because who's going to say anything? Jerry Kelly's former IRA man, you know, who's going to say anything if he's there? So deliberately targeting him by putting his face in that poster, it was making mm. a message. It was saying something. Um, I don't know if you've ever met Jerry Kelly, but like he wouldn't be a man who'd be easily intimidated. But at the same time, it was sending a very clear message in terms of the sort of propaganda value that comes mm. from that. So that was just an additional, as if that story didn't have enough legs on it. Yesterday morning, we woke up to the fact that the book had been printed out and stuck to a wall in West Belfast. The... Um... You know, in the crazy corner of the world you work where crazy things happen quite a lot. Uh, how shocked were you on a level of one to ten on that story when it broke? Do you know, the first I looked at it and thought, this is going to cost a flipping fortune to fix it, the mess it made. Then you sort of hammer down into the implications. I wasn't aware of exactly what the data contained. And at that time I was hearing, well, it just contains, you know, second names and initials. Like, sure, that could be anybody. But when you actually look at the way it's laid out, there's, it's so easy to jigsaw identify people out of it because of the, the format it is. You then realise, well, this is going to cause repercussions because people are going to question the chief constable and is he fit for the job? Um, is he going to resign? Are you going to see resignations from that top team? Who was responsible? How did this pass through five or six layers of bureaucracy and security checks and end up getting published in the way it did? What's going to be done to stop it happening again? And then there's the cost. And I have, you know, been through my archives and anything I can think of to even come up with something that even closely resembles it. And there is nothing. This is unprecedented. The only thing I could find that was even slightly similar was back in 2002, I had what they call the sort of Stormont Gate spy ring. And at that case, there was names and addresses of certain prison officers, I think over a thousand. 450 of them had to be located, relocated. Others had to get additional security on their homes and there had to be changes to work practices and all sorts of other things. At the last estimated cost, that had cost 30 million. That was in 2002. Things cost a lot less in 2002 than they cost now. That was 450 people out of 1,000 members of staff. This is 10,000 people. 
I wouldn't even begin to even try and put a figure on. You take away the relocation for those who are under serious risk and need to be moved home. The additional security measures that everyone from civilian staff to police officers are going to be asking. The fact that they may have to change badge numbers because every some badge number has now been released. The fact that they have to update their security systems, that they're going to have to call in outside experts to look at that and try and figure out what went wrong and how they can stop it happening again, repairing the confidence of the public and then paying out the compensation to everyone that, that has had their data breached. I mean, it's eye numbers. Where that money's coming from, I have no idea. And just the idea, I mean, as a sort of an outsider looking into it, that this is a home goal. This wasn't a kind of a data breach that was caused by the Russians or whoever else had hacked into the system, that this was, you know, whatever poor misfortunate actually, you know, made the mistake of publishing that. I do feel my heart goes out to them because, as I said to you at the beginning, it would be something I'd be very capable of doing if I was put in charge of a thing like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the idea that they, it went out themselves is just it's just extraordinary. It's just an amazing, incredible um, piece of the tapestry of Northern Ireland. And uh, the fact it was making, you know, the national news, it was leading Sky News, you know, in England that it shows you the scale of this pro- the problem. And the problem is it isn't just. I mean, the person who had sent on that is not responsible for that data breach. The people who were responsible for securing that information and who passed yeah. that to someone who did not have the security clearance to even have that data, you know, they're the people whose head should roll. At the end of the day, they're the ones paid the big bucks. You know, you don't, you know, not yeah. the sort of lowly, lowly paid admin staff. The chief, uh, is that the same chap that went down to Cross McGlenn with a gun and posed on Christmas Eve, was it? it is, it's the same one. He has been a little bit gaff prone, this current chief constable. He's not from here, he's, he's from England. And that sometimes means that they it, there's a little bit lost in translation, let's say, about how things operate here and what is appropriate and what isn't and whether he takes advice. The policing board seem to like him. They've given him another three-year contract and extended his contract. Um, but, you know, I remember the day he got the job, there was a number of people who were had applied for that job. I think um, one was Mark Hamill, who was an assistant chief constable. There was Steve Martin, who was an assistant, was he a deputy chief constable, I think, at the time. Um, there was John Boucher, who's currently in charge of the Canova steak knife investigation. And there was Simon Byrne. And it was, we weren't getting the announcement until quite late on in the evening. And it was a Friday, I think, and I had a deadline to hit. So I half wrote the story with who I thought was going to be the new chief constable with all their biography background material in it. And then it wasn't him. And I didn't even have that much on Simon Byrne because I hadn't even considered for one second that he, he was your outsider. Job. And then I had to go back then and, and do it all again. You know, there's things that he has done that are, you know, in terms of reform that have been really good. At the start, the, the uniform officer seemed to like him at the beginning. He got out and about. Seems like a nice man, to be honest with you. But I mean, there's there's a lot of mistakes that happened under his watch. He says he's not going. He's not even considered going. Um, and is this actually survivable, seriously, like in his role? You wouldn't survive any other job if you'd done this. There's no other no. position that that you could have, you could survive in, in this. And what you'd said is that too, you know, it's, it's an own goal. It was described to me as friendly fire. And that's literally what it is. In the, the past, I mean, there, there's a, a senior distance I spoke to and he said the IRA had to break into Castle Ray. We didn't have to do anything. They actually give it to us. They posted it on a website. You know, there was it required no action from them whatsoever. And yet this information was just handed out 
basically mm-hmm. on a plate and off it went into the ether, into the internet. And now it's circulating all around this place. Well, no doubt there's going to be chaos for some months to come with that. Um, right. Well, thanks for explaining it all to us. You're having a good summer. Were you on your hollybops when this happened? I was. I had taken a week off yeah. to go do. I was doing quite a few things at the West Belfast Festival. And I got a, a phone call from the news desk mm. and I went looked at it and just thought, my goodness, this is going to be fun to fix. So my week off wasn't exactly a week off. I had to then... It's just typical, isn't it? It's just, it's just like as if it's practically in the job description. If you're going to take a week off, something massive is going to happen. Exactly. I'm, I'm convinced. Well, I used to, there's times I used to do the night shift and the, the guys who were the subs who were laying out the pages say, could we all prepare ourselves for some sort of disaster because of Alison's on? There's no but, such thing as a quiet night. It's like people know when I'm off or when I'm yeah. on the night, night shift that, that that's when they should do their worst. I'm glad I'm not alone anyway. That's <laughs> the one thing we can take from this. Yeah, there's two of us in it. Right, listen, I'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Alison. Okay, take care. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.